Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Force. Join us now for a service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want to talk to you today for the next few moments on a subject entitled Weathering the Storm or Weathering Your Storm. Touch your neighbor and tell them, say, weather your storm. Weather your storm. Let's just bow our heads and pray before we get going here, okay? Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to avail ourselves of the truths that are in this great Word. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate today the Word of God into our hearts and into our lives. May every heart and every ear be receptive to what the Holy Spirit is giving today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Now, I learned a long time ago, and I've been doing this for many years now, I learned a long time ago that sometimes when we pray and ask God to take the storm away, that sometimes it doesn't leave. What happens when the storm won't leave? We have to weather it, don't we? What happens when a storm's coming off of the gulf out here, and we're praying and saying, Lord, turn it, turn it, turn it, make it hit Pensacola. It doesn't hit Pensacola, but it hits somewhere around here. You know, I mean, what do we have to do? We can't just ignore it and act like it didn't happen. We have to weather the storm, batten down the hatches, get our generators out, get ready just in case we lose power. All of those things we have to weather the storm. Life is full of storms. Life is full of storms. Jesus didn't promise us that He would move or remove all of the storms out of our life. But He promised us to be with us and to walk with us and to help us. In fact, in the last days, the Bible talks about many different storms. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 13, it kind of gives us a picture of what it is in the last days. And if we read this here, and we're going to, we'll just come to the realization that it's very possible that we are living in the days of the coming of the Lord. The Bible said in verse number 3, And as Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto Him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of Thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in My name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now I want to just pause right there and touch this like I did in the first service. When the scriptures say many will come and say, I am Christ, that's not saying that many will come and say, I'm Jesus. The word Christ there means the anointed one. So many will come and say, I'm anointed, you need to listen to me. Many will come and say, I'm an anointed one. And the Bible said that they would deceive many. So that word there where it says Christ speaks of the anointed one and his Anointing. So in the last days, many people are going to come along and they're going to say, I'm anointed, look at what the Lord's doing. Now you need to listen to what I had to say. And the Bible said that they will deceive many. Then verse number 6 says, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. 
And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Verse number 13 is our springboard scripture today. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Can you read that with me? But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I want to talk to you today about five things that will help you weather the storm in your life. The first thing I want to talk to you about is staying steady. Secondly, I want to talk to you about staying committed. Number three, I want to talk to you about staying in the Word. Number four, I want to talk to you about passing the test. And number five, I want to talk to you about becoming a person of spiritual prayer or spiritual warfare. The Scriptures teach us that we should be steady, that we should hold true, that we need to stay steady. In the midst of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in divers places and the Bible said in the last days people would start hating one another and doing things to one another that's not seemly. In the midst of all of that, we just need to stay steady. We need to stay even. We need to stay cool. I mean, You can tell I've been with Bishop Johnson, can't you? Everything's cool, cool. Over there in Jamaica. How you doing? Cool, cool. Everything's cool, cool. Touch your neighbor and say, cool, cool. No problem, man. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 is a good passage of Scripture to talk to us about staying steady. The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. Can we all say that together? Let us pass over unto the other side. Those are the words of Jesus. And when they had sent the multitude away, they took him even as he was in the ship, And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples were afraid. Jesus was asleep. There's a wind. There's tumult. The winds are coming. The waves are coming. And Jesus is asleep. They're lightening the ship. They're scurrying about the boat. They're pulling in the sails. They're doing everything that they know to do to make sure that they don't sink. And Jesus is asleep. Why was Jesus asleep? Because he told them, let us pass over unto the other side. We all said that together. Let us pass over unto the other side. The principle that we can learn from this scripture is that the word of God can pull you through any situation if you dare to embrace it and act upon it. When you operate from a word from God, under a word from God, then that word will pull you through any situation. Jesus was asleep because he had already given the word, we're going to the other side. 
the disciples were concerned. They were afraid because Jesus was sleeping and they were working. And they're like, how can you sleep? And Jesus gets up and he says, you guys are just faithless. And he stands in the bow of that ship and says, peace be still. And there was a great calm. Now I want us to notice a few things here. Number one, the Bible said that around them were other little ships. Other little ships. The storm that you are in is a storm that will affect other people around you. How you react to that storm, how you act in the midst of your battle will affect more than just you. There were ships, other little ships, that were following Jesus and the disciples across that sea because Jesus had said, let us go unto the other side. Did you know that the same storm that the ship that Jesus was in was the same storm that those little ships were in? And if they were little ships, then the storm in their ship was probably much more violent than the storm in the larger ship where Jesus was. Here's the key. My obedience or disobedience will affect more than me. That's why it's important for me to stay steady. That's why it's important when the battle hits for me to say, you know what? I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the rain. That's why it's important sometimes to just ride out your storm because there are people around you that are not only watching you, but they're going to be affected by the way that you respond to your storm. And so there's other little ships there. And we need to be obedient. If Jesus said, let's go to the other side, then we need to just go to the other side because we're operating on a word from God. I like what Lowell Lundstrom said a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if anyone caught it but me, but he made the statement. He said this. He said, God will pull you through any situation if you can stand the stretch. God will pull you through any situation if you can stand the stretch. Touch your neighbor and say, weather your storm. Jesus commanded peace in the midst of a potentially violent situation. The second thing that I want to talk to you about is being committed. If you're going to weather your storm, not only do you need to stay steady, the way you stay steady is stay in the Word and stay on your knees in prayer. But the second thing that I want to share with you is to stay committed. Sometime this week, I want you to go and read the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters. You can read it in one setting. That is a great book about commitment. The invitation to go back to the old and the familiar way of life was there. Naomi's husband had died. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and her daughter-in-law, Orpah, their husbands had died. Naomi said, I'm going back home to Israel to the land of promise. You guys can stay here if you want to and marry someone else and continue their life. Orpah said, I think I'll stay here in my homeland. But Ruth said, no, I'm going with you. Because when I married this man who was your son, I made a commitment to this family to stick with this family no matter what. And so she said, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your God will be my God and your people will be my people.
people. She was telling Ruth, I'm going to be committed with you for the rest of your life. I'm going to be committed. Sometimes all God is waiting for is for us to make up our minds. Sometimes He's just waiting for us to make up our minds. You know, there's a whole lot to be said about commitment. You know, people that bounce from one place to the next, if you bounce from one job to the next, You let something happen and you leave and you go to another job and then you let something happen and you leave that job. You go to another job and then you let something happen and you leave that job and you go to another job. Before long, it's going to be very difficult for you to get a job because your resume says you're unstable. It says you can't be committed. And many times people will leave because they'll say, well, I have all this experience. Yeah, but you don't have any commitment. You may have all kinds of experience, but if you can't stick it out, an employer can't use you. Do you see what I'm saying? So you have to make up your mind. You have to say, this is what I told someone the other day. I said, listen. I said, they said, how have you been so successful in the ministry? I said, well, it wasn't that way in the beginning. I said, it was very difficult. But if you keep doing the same thing over and 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 over for 40 years... Not 40 days, not 40 weeks, not 40 months, 40 years, good things can happen. Good things can happen. And so you got to stay committed. Right choices produce right results. Wrong choices produce wrong results. Don't blame other people for the mess that you are in. Take ownership of your situation. Get committed to resolution. Envision the life that you want to live. Ask God to help you and embark upon your journey and be committed to the process until you receive what you're believing God for. That's what you've got to do. You've got to weather your storm. Many times people lose their place in God. Lose their relationship with God. Lose the blessing of God. Lose the favor of God upon their life because they have a hard time with commitment. Psalms 37, 1 through 9 says this, The psalm of David, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Now listen, I want to say something about this right here. Evildoers... Workers of iniquity are always going to be around. They're always going to be around. I'm not going to get up here and I'm not going to tell you a lie and tell you because you gave your life to Jesus and made up your mind you're going to live for God and you're committed to living for God that everything's going to be hunky-dory and you know you're going to lay down in your bed and smell lavender and you're going to go out in the rose garden and walk through the roses and everything's going to be wonderful. No, that's not how it works. There's storms in life. There's always going to be evildoers. There's always going to be workers of iniquity. There's always, always going to be people trying to work against you. It's just the way life is. The more blessed you become, the more favor, the more influence, the more blessing that you have on your life, the more people will try to work against you and steal what God has given you because they're jealous of your blessing. Touch your neighbor and say, weather the storm. Just weather the storm. So here's what the Bible says. When the evildoers and the workers of iniquity are there, 
The Bible said, don't worry about them. Soon they'll be cut down like the grass, whether as the green herb. In the meantime, do this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Just trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Number seven, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You know what that's telling me? That's telling me don't pay attention to the background noise because payday's coming. And in the midst of that, I'm going to commit my way unto the Lord. I'm going to do good. I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest in the Lord. And I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to do those things. I'm going to trust. I'm going to commit. I'm going to delight. And I'm going to rest in the Lord. Because one of these days my promise is I'll inherit the earth. So that's what happens when we stay committed. And then number three, if we're going to weather the storm, we need to stay in the Word. Psalms 119 to verse number 11 Psalms 119 verse 11 says this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Stay in God's word. God's word has the answer for every question in life. Can you say that with me? God's word has the answer for every question in life. Whatever you need, you can find it in the Word of God. Whatever question you have concerning your life, you can find it in the Word of God. So stay in the Word. I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of time there because I've taught you a lot about the Word. The fourth thing I want to talk to you about is this. you got to pass the test. You have to pass the test. There's a principle that I teach my kids. I've taught it to them for years. Ever since they was big enough to understand what I was saying. When they would face a challenge in their life, I'd look at them and I'd say, Pass that test, honey. It's just a test. you got to pass it. Because if you don't pass the test, guess what? you got to take it again. You have to take it again. If you, don't, if you don't pass the test, you have to take it again. You know something I found out? I found out through the years that sometimes a D on that test won't do. God will say, that's not good enough. you got to take it again. Okay, Lord, I'll take it again. And we take it again and we get a C. Well, Lord, that's average, yeah. But average isn't good enough for you. How many's ever heard that? Average isn't good enough for you, so you got to take it again. And so there are some tests that God just puts us through or allows us to go through where we can take that test over and over and over and over again until we make an A or we make a B on that test. Now, let me uh, share with you uh, a test that the Apostle Paul was explaining here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. Now, this is a test that the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about. They were going through some things at the church and they thought they were really being battled and they thought they were really going through some difficult things. And Paul just kind of put things in perspective for them. Look here. I say again... Let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. 
Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. Now listen, verse number 20, here's where it starts getting good. He said, you suffer, Corinthian church, you suffer if a man brings you into bondage, if a man devours you, in other words, just eats you up, just takes, you know, finds fault with you and each other. If a man takes from you, so if they steal from you or if they take from you, if a man exalts himself over you, if a man spites you on the face. He said, you call that suffering. He said, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. He said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He's saying, I'm everything that you guys are saying that you are. But in laborers, I'm in more, more abundance. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In death often. Of the Jews, five different times I received 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night in the day I was in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils by my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. And then look at this. In perils among false brethren. <laughs> Thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. In perils by false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and in nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, I've got the care of all these churches. And you're complaining because somebody's talking about you. Because somebody's taking advantage of you. Verse 20. Because somebody's exalted instead of you. Because somebody smote you on the face. He said, I got all this going on. And then you add to that, you all. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying here. Okay? And then he goes on and he says, Who is weak? I'm not weak. Who's offended? I don't burn with offense. I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, he says, oh, by the way, in Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascus with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. In other words, he wanted to hang me. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall, and I escaped his hand. Pass the test. Pass the test. If I'm going to weather the storm, I'm going to have to pass the test. I promise you. I promise you. There is someone somewhere that's facing a whole lot more than you are. I received an email communication about two and a half weeks ago from the bishop, the Church of God bishop over the country of Pakistan. 
and he's our, one, he's our bishop from the Church of God under Bishop Tim Hill. He asked me in that email, he said, I'm coming to Orlando. Can I come and have lunch with you? I said, okay. So I contacted our state office because that's what you do. Staying in divine order, I contacted our state office. I told our state bishop what was going on, that the bishop of Pakistan wanted to meet with me and would he like to meet with him? And he said, sure. He said, I would love that. And so I set the meeting up and, um, and I said, we'll, we'll do that. So uh, we were going to meet in Orlando, but we changed it to meet there at the state office in Tampa. And on Wednesday, I'm going to sit down across from the bishop of Pakistan who has told me in numerous emails since then of the persecutions of the church in Pakistan. He said not too long ago, just about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, 60 Christians were killed in the park. You know what their crime was? Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. The evangelist and his little wife, a young couple about Luke and Susie's age, were sentenced to be burned at the stake in the middle of the square. I asked him, I said, what does that do to the church? He said, we're strong. There are 200 Church of God churches in Pakistan. In the midst of all of that persecution, and we get mad if the carpet's the wrong color. Pass the test. Pass the test. Most of the church, now listen to me church, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, I just want us to wake up here today. Most of the church around the world is persecuted. Most of the church around the world is persecuted. Over 50% of the world lives on less than a dollar a day. We're in America. We get our feelings hurt too easy. Pass the test. Pass the test. Look at what the Apostle Paul went through. But he wouldn't quit. Look what he said. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. He was writing to Timothy. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I might have been in prison. I might have been beaten with rods. They might have had to let me down over the wall in a basket, but I kept fighting. I never stopped. They stoned him once, thought he was dead, left him outside of the city on a pile of rocks. God raised him back up and he walked back into the city and started preaching on the street. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Can somebody say, thank God for Jesus? Come on. Pass the test. 
1 Samuel chapter 17, David and Goliath. We find a story of David and Goliath. Man, Goliath looked large there, didn't he? But you can read it later. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David passed the test. God may send you into uncharted territory, but He will never ask you to use spiritual weaponry that has not been tried and proven. David put on foreign armor. He said, I can't defeat the giant like this because I haven't tried it and I haven't proved it. And he shed that armor and he went down to the brook and picked up five stones, five smooth stones and got a slingshot and went against the giant in the name of the Lord. The Bible said, read it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Bible said that David ran toward that giant. Why? Because he knew in whom he believed. And he cried out and he said, You come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He was inspired by the power of God that was flowing through his veins. And while he was a long way off, the enemy thought, This is easy. And he threw his spear and missed. Read it. David takes that stone, puts it in that sling, slings it up. It's giant, that giant square in the forehead. He falls to the earth and David goes and takes the giant's own sword, the sword that was intended to kill him, the sword that was intended to slay him. He took that sword, cut off the giant's head and read it in 1 Samuel 17. He took that head and climbed up and stood on top of that giant and held the head of the enemy up. And when that happened, all those other Philistines took off running and it inspired the army of Israel and they took off after them. Sometimes God will send you into uncharted territory, but He will never ask you to use spiritual weaponry that has not been tried and proven. Can I, I submit to you, the Word of God has been tried and proven. Prayer has been tried and proven. Fasting has been tried and proven. Agreement in prayer, intercessory prayer, the prayer of faith, those things have been tried and proven and we've got to start activating them. It's not good enough to know about them. We have to use those weapons. I can know about my guns all day long and I have a few. My uncle is Uncle Chuck. So I have a few. And I can know about my guns all day long. But if I never go get them and take them out and shoot them and use them, then, then, I, can, then I can never, ever, ever hit a target. I can talk about it all day long, but until I activate what I know. And that's the same way it is with prayer. You can talk about prayer all day long, but until you humble your knee, humble yourself and bow before God and get on your knees and cry out to the only one that can make a difference, then, then, then nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. We have got to learn to pray. We're not God's guinea pig. That's why we can advance forward in the name of Jesus and reclaim what the enemy has taken for the church. God is not going to put a weapon in your hand that has not been tried and proven. God's not going to ask you to do something that's not been tried and proven. All champions have one character trait in common. You know what it is? Here's a hint. Say it with me. They refuse to quit. They refuse to quit. If they quit, they wouldn't be the champion. They wouldn't be the champion. You know something? I've said it many, 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 many times. You knock me down, I just get back up. 
Not only have I said it, ask my family. I've proved it. We've lived it. Many are the times that we have been knocked down and we just get back up and we just keep going. Dust ourselves up. Isn't that right, Irma? I mean, you've lived a lot of years now, Irma. You know, don't you? I mean, hallelujah. Yes. Listen. I love it. I love. You know how I know that she knows? Because when the Holy Ghost gets on her, out comes the hanky. You know something? That's what they did 30 years ago. So I thought she must have been around 30 years ago when they were all doing that. That means there's 30 years of prayer. There's 30 years of fasting. There's 30 years of trouble and trial and tribulation and victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm telling you, you can't beat somebody that refuses to quit. And the last thing I want to talk to you about here is weathering the storm. We need to be a people of war. I'm talking spiritually. We need to be a people of war. Starting Wednesday night, I have so much information that I have compiled and put together in so many messages that I've preached through the years on spiritual warfare. Donna has been telling me. She came, she actually came, and I got a folder about that big, and she plopped it down on my, on my desk here about three or four weeks ago, and she said, John, I said, yes, honey. She said, you need to write a book on spiritual warfare, and she plopped that down. I said, well, maybe that'll be my next book. Who knows? But Wednesday night, I'm going to start teaching you on spiritual warfare. We're going to get deep into spiritual warfare. We're not just going to learn about it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it, okay? We need to be a people of war. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Translation, this thing is spiritual. This thing is spiritual. 80% of what you face is spiritual. 80% of it. It's spiritual. It's the devil messing with you. It's the devil messing with your head. It's the devil messing with your circumstances. It's the devil messing with you. You're trying to, you're trying to fight a spiritual battle with carnal weapons and it never works. That's why your life stays in turmoil. That's why there's always drama. You know why? Because you're trying to conquer a spiritual problem with carnal weapons. You fight spiritual battles with spiritual tools. Fasting and prayer and the Word of God. You activate those things. Some wars can only be won in the back rooms of prayer. Now listen, make sure that the enemy you are fighting is the enemy and not yourself or one of your brothers or sisters in Christ. If you're going to go to war, go to war against the devil for goodness sakes. Use all that energy defeating the devil. Use all that energy defeating the works of Satan. Don't try to bite and devour and tear other people down. The focus is the stronghold. The focus is the stronghold. Look here. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of other people. No, no. To the pulling down of your own circumstances. No, to the pulling down of strongholds. Stronghold is a spiritual term. 
That's a spiritual term. That's spiritual terminology. So the focus in this passage of Scripture is the pulling down of strongholds. You would be surprised what will crumble and fall when you pull down a stronghold. You'll be surprised. Let me put it like this. You'll be surprised what's attached to a stronghold. When you conquer and defeat a stronghold, there are strongholds over regions. There are strongholds over cities. There are strongholds over communities. Strongholds of drugs. Strongholds of perversion. Strongholds of witchcraft. Strongholds of rebellion. Strongholds of all kinds of things. You'd be surprised when you actually get into a spiritual mentality and start praying in the Holy Ghost and pulling down those strongholds, you would be surprised what is attached to them. You'll start seeing all of these problems in your life. You'll start seeing a whole lot of them just come in line. Why? Not because you focused on the problem, because you pulled down the stronghold in prayer. Touch your neighbor and say, this thing is spiritual. Tell them, this thing is spiritual. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. So don't let the devil mess with your head. See it for what it is. It's spiritual. Donna and I had a lot of time to talk while we were gone. and We talked about various things that we love about the church. We talked about various things that we're concerned about. And I want her to come here and for just a few moments. She's going to share her heart like she did in first service. There's some things pretty strong on her heart. And I'm with her 101,000 and 10,000. You get it. I'm with her. I want her to come right now and I want her to take this purple mic and share with you what the Lord has put on her heart for our church. I sit and I, and I look a lot of times. You know, I'll talk to people, but I sit and I watch and the Lord's been dealing with me. Our church has gotten away from prayer. You know, I don't see it. I don't see what it takes to see revival in our community, in our church. And, you know, he showed me this last night. And I thought, you know, you have these babies that are bombarding heaven. But as adults, can't even hit our knees when we're in church. You know, we come and we are just here to just visit with people. You know, I remember when I was a kid, when you walked into church and you walked in that sanctuary, what you seen was you seen people at that altar. You seen them praying before service. And we seen the power of God move greater than we'd ever seen. You know, I understand the methods in which things are done are different in each generation. But prayer is never different in any generation. And what it takes to bring revival is always the same. You know, you've got you've to pray. You've got to fast to see revival. You know, I don't know if any of you guys seen what I had posted on um, Facebook. But this evangelist that we met about four years ago when Susie was in college, um, him, and, him and his wife were in college, and... Um, he is in revival in West Virginia. You know, and somebody told me, they said, well, the culture's different there than it is here. God's culture's the same no matter where. 
And what it takes is, no, is always the same. But he went to revival in this church in West Virginia. But it hasn't stayed in that church. He's went to the high schools. And he's went to the middle schools. And they have allowed him to come in and preach. And through the obedience of that, there have been over 700 children saved. One over a hundred of them filled with the Holy Ghost inside the school. They didn't come to the church. They came to the school. But that could have never happened if that church that brought him in and if he hadn't hit his knees and prayed and asked the Lord to bring revival to that community and to bring revival where he's at. You know, it's time that we take our commitment to a different level. You know, we, we find every way in the world not to come to church. We find every way in the world not to pray. You know, there's always an excuse as to why we can't pray, why we can't read. But it's time that we say no matter what, just like we did, just like our mamas and daddies did. You know, when there was an issue, they didn't go run their mouth. They didn't place it on Facebook. They hit their knees, and that's what we need to do. We need to hit our knees again, and we need to ask the Lord to give us the commitment that we need to see revival. You know, the Lord, there have been many, many prophecies that revival was going to start in Pasco County, and since we've been here, we've even had people tell us that the Lord has said that this church is the one where it's going to start. It can't do that if we're not willing to pay the price. And to pay the price is to pray. And we got to push back the plate. You know, there's times that, you know, there, like you said, there's some things that can only take place with prayer and fasting. You know, and the Lord, and it's like I told him in the first service, the Lord's been dealing with me. You know, I haven't been praying and reading and studying like I should, like I used to. You know, when I was a kid, you couldn't get me off my knees. And, you know, we have so many things that come against us that, you know, will, you know, pull us down. But what we have to realize is it doesn't matter what comes at us. It doesn't matter where we're at in life. That the only thing that matters is prayer and fasting and to see God move. You know, I want to see, I want to see what they're seeing in West Virginia. You know, I want to see us be able to go into those schools and to, to see the kids saved. I want to see people walk through that door and not just tell us that, you know, we can tell that that church loves people. But I want them also to say, when you walk in that church, you know there's going to be prayer going on. You know, and, and, and my challenge, and I didn't say this in the first service, and I hope I'm okay, but my challenge is when we come in this sanctuary on Wednesday or on Sunday, that we don't come in and visit we come in and we come in in an attitude of prayer. And when we do that, you guys will see such a difference in the services, in the way we worship, in the way that the anointing moves in worship. You know, God, God uses our praise team. But what, how much more can He use them to, to usher us into the presence of God? So my challenge to you is when you come in, Let's come in in an attitude of prayer. You know, let's have the praise and worship music on. Let's see. Let's try this thing again. You know, things have been tried and they've been proven over the years. 
Some things, some things work, some things don't. But we know that prayer will work. And we know that it will take place. Amen. There's a couple of things I want to say to you. God has given this church an exceptional team. There are great people who are working in this church because they have a passion and a heart to see God move. Almost all of them, not all, but almost all of them are volunteers. They're volunteers. And God has given this church great influence. Tuesday night I'll be praying at an event with the governor. And I'll pray for him publicly. Meet with him privately. And the lieutenant governor. I'm not boasting. I'm, I'm trying to share with you. God is giving us influence. The only reason God's given us this kind of influence is because he wants to pour his heart out into this community. And if God's going to bring revival to a community, He starts in the church, but it, then He flows into the rooms where the culture is made. And we have a presence there, listen to this, by invitation. By invitation. God spoke to me when I came here. After a 40-day fast, God spoke to me and He said, I have marked you. You are the man of God for that region. And he told me, he said, there'll be some battles. There'll be some troubles and trials. There'll even be some that doesn't agree with that. But I have marked you as the man of God for that region. And I am determined to stay in love. And to stay in prayer. And to stay in the word. Because I want revival more than I want to be proven right. Do you hear me? I want revival. There's too many lost people out here driving by on 52 that don't know Jesus. They don't even know they're depending on us. But they are. And we as a church have to embrace this move that God's wanting to do in this county and in this community. How do I do that, Pastor? In prayer. In prayer. God will help you weather your storm. That's true. But nine times out of ten, it's going to be through prayer. So we've got to learn how to pray. We've got to spend some time on our knees. So I'm not going to ask you to stand and dismiss you today. I'm going to ask you to stand and come forward and get on your knees and pray. And ask God to put a hunger in your heart for His move. Birth in me, God, an appetite for revival. Birth in me, God, an appetite for the move of God. And honestly, straight up, that's really just about all that really matters to me. Is I want to see God touch you. And I want to see Him move in your heart and in your life. 
And I want to see him actively involved in your life. Can we stand, please? Thank you for joining us today on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4, jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.